0: You know, before our series on um, the 23rd Psalm, uh, Sean did a, a great series on the book of Jonah. And that's unusual. How many times have you heard ser- a message let alone a whole series on the book of Jonah? Once. I see one finger out there. <laughs> well, Deb and I were out at our my staff conference uh, last week uh, on the coast, and they brought in a speaker from New York City, inner, inner city, and he spoke on, on the text from the book of... Jonah so I, I thought well that's kind of interesting and so then on the way home we took our time went to the Okanagan we kind of escaped because we left last Tuesday and then the fire started Tuesday night so I mean our hearts are just heavy. we have friends that have evacuated from their homes and some of our even former church members here that live out there now have had to are on alert and stuff but anyway so on the way on the way back we spent about three days in the Okanagan we went to an outdoor church in Penticton at Lake Skaha and the just just like our church, the pastor was taking a little time off, but he was there. And one of his elders in training, they called him a deacon, which is kind of an elder in training, I guess, delivered the message. It wasn't the best message I've ever heard in my life, but I really listened closely because he introduced the message and he said, we're co- continuing in our series of Jonah. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, Holy Spirit, are you trying to tell your body of Christ something unusual here? And so, I don't know. I don't know how you guys are, but when you come to church, do you expect to hear from God? I mean, that sermon last week, like I said, it wasn't stellar, but I knew God was trying to tell us something. And so I listened pretty hard. Deb told me some things I'd missed, but I did my best to hear it as much as I could, could, could hear. But the Jesus himself said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. I'm in our, he's in our midst. And if Jesus is in our midst, we can expect to, to hear from him. And so when I was, I've gotten out of the habit, but I want to get back into it of bringing a notebook to church, because if God speaks, I should probably write it down. <laughs> I don't want to miss it. Anyway, let me just, let me just pray again, if I, if, if that's okay. Well, let's pray. Lord, um, because you promised that, Lord Jesus, we know that you're here. And for sure you are uh, our special guest, and, and Lord, we want to just be listening what you have to say. And um, I pray that you could just speak today. and you, Even if it's through my bumbling or, or however, Lord, I, I pray that you would just tell us something you want us to hear. Help us to be obedient to follow through Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So um, we're going through probably the most beloved psalm in the Bible. Well, it is the most beloved psalm in the Bible. I remember We had this thing called Boys Brigade when I was a kid. It's like a Christianized Boy Scout. Any of you old guys remember that? I remember memorizing this 23rd Psalm for Boys Brigade. We got our little badges and stuff, you know. I I still vividly remember going through the 23rd Psalm. And I was a shepherd once for one day. And I was the worst shepherd ever. Um, I was um, studying, when I I went to seminary, um, my program, they didn't give it credit for elementary Greek. And so I had worked up in Houghton, Michigan for about four years. I was the sport chaplain at Michigan Tech University. And my church had a, 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 a small seminary up there. And so I knew it'd be a lot cheaper um, to study Greek. They're often Greek the summer. And there's only like one or two other guys at the class. So I thought, perfect. I'll go up to Houghton, study Greek for, for the summer, and, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and hopefully pass off my, my test. You have to have this proficiency test where I went to school at Bethel in St. Paul, and then you can take your classes in New Testament Greek. And I passed, fortunately. But so I was staying at the farm of a friend of mine named Steve, Steve Paul, sorry. And I used to kid him, I said, Steve, you're the most eligible bachelor in in the UP. Um, He was a banker, he started working in the bank right out of high school as a teller, worked his way all the way up to president of the bank. But he had a hobby farm. This guy was a Finnish-American guy, super hard working. So he had this hobby farm. In addition to putting long days in the bank, he had all these things, chores to do on the farm. Well, one morning, I get up to go to the class, and he had a flock of sheep, and they got out. And I'm like, oh, man, there's sheep on the road. There's some in the neighbor's uh, property. And I'm thinking, these sheep are going to get run over my car. And I tried to start corralling them. Well, he had this little dog named Eliza, a border collie, which instinctively, they, they chased the sheep around. But he didn't take the time to train Eliza. So I'm like, Eliza, let's, let's do something. And she would... Chase the sheep, but she couldn't corral the sheep. <laughs> so, so I'm chasing the sheep, and Eliza's not making things any better. She's making things worse, and I just, I was getting so frustrated and fed up. Finally, I just called, Jesus, Steve, this is what's going on. I got to go to class. And he goes, go to class. I'll work it out somehow. So I, I left the sheep scattered. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus said that. He said, you know, the sheep know the, the voice of the shepherd, and they'll follow him but the stranger, they won't follow. That was totally true. That's, the Bible's true. <laughs> and so that was my experience as a shepherd. Um, but there's six verses, and let's just read them through. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by, besides quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff to comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is our last Sunday on the 23rd Psalm. Verse 6. You know, we've seen so far what the Lord has done. He leads them to green pastures. He leads them besides clear waters, quiet waters. He restores our souls. He guides, protects, even makes a banquet. I did none of those things for Steve's sheep. But uh, we believe that, uh, that King David wrote this psalm. And he, of course, he was a shepherd himself and he was inner, very acquainted with the workings of a shepherd. But more importantly, the, the heart of a shepherd. He knew how a shepherd takes care of his flock and risks his own life to protect the flock and and, and looks after that flock. Well, there's three things today in this verse 6 that I want us to to do. The first one is to know. To know that um, God's goodness is upon our lives and will continue forever. And I want us to feel that we can trust Him no matter what the circumstances of life are going on around us. And then thirdly, this is what I want us to do. Cultivate and enjoy and cherish our love relationship with God and prepare to do that for all eternity. So uh, I don't know... Sometimes we come to a sermon, we leave, and we're not sure what um, the, the guy was trying to say. Well, those are the things. I want us to, to, to know those things, to feel those things that way, and, and, and to do that. So surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow us all the days of our lives as we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So first of all, let's, let's get to know God's goodness upon our lives. Um, there's two key words here. The Hebrew word, Tob, which is goodness, and the other one is Chesed, which is loving kindness. So told is the word goodness that's used 559 times in the Old Testament. It's translated as good, better, prosperous, and it's used so often, like I said, 560 times. And and usually in reference to our relationship with God and who God is. He's good, he's full of goodness. And chesed, if I was a good Hebrew person, I could say that right. I probably didn't get the accent right, but uh, it's such a rich word that we've made up an English word to describe it loving kindness um, I don't think there's any time in the English language we use that word loving kindness except for the Bible it's used 248 times and always of, of God's love for us and it's kind of a, it's chesed love maybe you've heard of that Hebrew word before it kind of encapsulates mercy um, loving loving things loving to together um, and and it's all wrapped up in it. It's such a rich word. We have a hard time translating it That's when we made up the word loving-kindness to describe it So I want to just tell some some stories today I already told you my personal experience of a story, but I'm gonna tell a couple Bible stories so this is gonna be story time there's there's a, a story in the Bible that God used to describe his chesed loving-kindness for his people and it's found in the book of Hosea you see it's in Hosea 2, 19 to 20, where he says to the nation of Israel, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in love and kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. So, so God wants his people to know that the relationship I have with you, I love you so much, just like a marriage relationship. But Israel was unfaithful. And we tend to be unfaithful at times as well, don't we? So uh, in, in the book of Hosea, the story is of the prophet Hosea. It's a real life story of Hosea and Gomer. And God used this story to demonstrate his chesed loving kindness to his people, the matter, their unfaithfulness, and how far away they got. So Hosea and Gomer, it's a love story. Now now as a kid, there's a show called Gomer Pile, black and white TV show. And, and Gomer, so I think of the name Gomer, I don't, I'm not thinking of a woman, but in this case, Gomer was a woman. Maybe she wasn't that attractive, I don't know. Maybe she was really attractive. But there aren't a whole lot of books written about this love story, just Hosea. There aren't a whole lot of movies written about this relationship. Um, but here's the situation. Back in the day uh, of Hosea, he was a prophet, and about 150 years before he came on the scene, there's a king called Jeroboam. Jeroboam the first and he began to have um, well he he began to incorporate Canaanite worship into the nation of Israel you know God chose Israel to be his special people to worship just him and to show the whole world what it was like to have a relationship with God but they're worshiping golden calves and Jeroboam the first kind of opened up the door of Canaanite worship for all kinds of crazy worship things to go on there was uh, the Immorality with temple prostitutes, child sacrifice, and all kinds of just weird, crazy stuff that leaked into the nation of Israel. They were supposed to have this special relationship with God. So this had gone on for like 150 years, and he sent a prophet by the name of, of Amos. He was a he was a shepherd, but he was a master shepherd. He was from Tekoa, a master shepherd. I think was more of a, a breeder, and um, and and. Um, but the people didn't listen to, to Amos. And so then in, in Hosea's time, he was a, a professional prophet. So he was kind of esteemed by the people, but they didn't listen to him either. And, and so the people were going to with all this crazy worship and other things that were going on. So um, the first thing that God told Hosea to do was to find a harlot. Now we have a, a lot of kids in the audience, so I got to kind of... Make this PG at least. (laughs) But he used to go find a prostitute to to marry. We see in Hosea 1, um, when the Lord spoke, first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Actually, she gave him three children. Could you imagine, though? So our, our pastor, he's a family man, very faithful husband. Let's say God very clearly said, go to Calgary, find a streetwalker, and marry her. So he comes back to church. I want to introduce the new pastor's wife. <laughs> oh, by the way, do you play the piano? Anyway. <laughs> but uh, so this would have been kind of shocking and a little um, scandalous, actually. So um, perhaps Hosea really did love her, but he was he was obedient. The next two children, though, their names were Loru Hama and Lo'amni, which indicate that Gomer was the happy wife, because the names of the kids denote that, and so she began to return to her former lovers and her former paramours, even though Hosea provided for her, took care of her, they had three children, so she began to sneak out at night, and then eventually she began to be totally enmeshed, she left Hosea, and just kind of went fully back into her old lifestyle. And it's interesting in the book of Hosea, like these, these other lovers and paramours, they were giving her gifts. But Hosea was watching from afar and providing for her to make sure she was well fed. But And, and these guys were giving her the money and the things that her old husband was giving her, pretending that it was from them, these immoral, uh, godless men. But Hosea was still looking at her from, from afar. So he's keeping track of her. And I mean, I don't know Hosea's heart, if he still loved her or if he's being obedient to God, but that shows the kind of the Father's heart because when we're all disobedient, he still is faithful to us and takes care of us. So anyway, eventually uh, in Hosea 3, God says to Hosea, take her back. So the Lord said to to me, go again, love the woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel though they turned to other gods and loved raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will be also towards you. So so now Gomer is ragged, torn, dirty, and he goes to a slave market. And and. Buys her back for fifteen shekels and the barley and things like that. Sounds like like a bar a bargain to me. I don't know, but just think about her life what a train wreck. But he loves her enough to to show this love and kindness and still buy her back even though she's done all that to him. So, in God's ancient people uh, they kept going back to their sins in the same way. And so in, in Hosea six four he said, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your loyalty is like a morning cloud, and like the dew which goes away early. See, God never stopped loving them, and He never stopped chesed, love and kindness, a complete love of them. So, so God is the ultimate shepherd. You know, even when they go astray, when when Steve, my friend Steve's sheep went astray, I I was not a good shepherd. I got frustrated, short tempered, and I gave up. But God doesn't give up on His sheep. You know, and, and sometimes we think, oh, I've, I've done this, I've done that, I've strayed. You know, and, and we're thinking the short-tempered person that, that I was. We don't think about the chesed, loving kindness that God is, and He's patient and He He sacrifices and He even overlooks, like like Jose, He overlooks the the dirtiness and the the, the fallenness and the waywardness, and he, he buys us back because that's chesed love. So, folks, no matter where you might find yourself on your your God-given path today, um, He's there for you. He loves you, and He wants you to come back. And he will take you back. Sometimes we think we've gone so far that we can't come back. I had a uh, incident back in the UP where I was, where a guy was begging some money off of me, and he said he needed some money to go to this, this town called Dollar Bay. He needed five dollars for a cab ride, and I'm like, I don't have any money, but I'll, I'll give you a ride. And he says, No. You know, I'm he kind of went back and forth, and he goes, I just want the money. <laughs> and then he started telling me his story. He used to be uh, do prison ministry, and they, he, he'd been radically saved himself, and then um, was going to prisons and talking to inmates and doing Bible studies and stuff like that. But somehow this guy fell back into his old manner of, of living, totally fell away from God. He told me this whole story. It was really captivating. And I told him, I said, you know what? You can come back. You can always come back. And just like, no, I can't, I can't do it. I was trying to talk him into it. Yeah, you can. (laughs) You can come back. I didn't tell him the Hosea story. Maybe I should have. Maybe that would have convinced him. But at the end, I just walked away so discouraged because I thought, it's just waiting for him. But he didn't take it. It was there, but he didn't take it. And it was kind of sad. Well, secondly, I want us to feel that we can trust him no matter what our circumstances in life are. So it says that goodness and loving kindness will follow us all the days of our lives. But you might not feel like that. There might be some things going on in your life that you think, you know what, there's not goodness in my life right now, and I'm not feeling God's love and kindness right now. Um, but maybe this has already been shared during the, the, the series that we've been going through, But commentators are pretty sure that David wrote this psalm when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. you know that story? I'm going to tell you another Bible story. So this would have been probably the lowest time in King David's life uh, at all. And and this is where he wrote this most beloved of psalms. It was the lowest time of his life. Let me give you a little Bible background. 2 Samuel 13 to 15 is where the story is. Absalom was one of his favorite sons. Solomon may have been his favorite, but Absalom, for sure, was number two. The name means uh, peaceful or, or, or father of peace. But Absalom was nothing but peaceful or father of peace. His life was marked with, with discord and collusion, and murder, and alienation from his family. Sh- scripture indicates that Absalom, like I said, was one of David's favorite sons, but he really, really rebelled. Um, the, see, David had so many wives— and So many concubines. There were probably a lot of kids in the family, so they're probably all like stepbrothers and stepsisters. So one of uh, his stepbrothers, Amni, uh, or Abnon, sorry, Amnon, he really loved his stepsister. Um, Ter- Got to get this right here. Tamar. I was gonna say Tara, but it's Tamar. And so he longed for her and loved her and, and, and wanted wanted to, to be with her intimately, physically. And so uh, finally, he schemed up this plot where he, he pretended he was sick. And so he asked her Tamar to, to bring him some soup. And so she was in the room with the soup and his other family members were in this room and, and he convinced him to leave. And then he was alone with her. And then he basically had his way with her. And, and this really made Absalom angry because Tamar was no longer probably marryable. And she was disgraced. And so she went off to live with, with Absalom. And, and, and uh, for, for four years, Absalom was plotting his, no, for two years, he was plotting his, his revenge on his stepbrother, Amnon. And he, t- he took his life. After two years, he plotted and took his life. And then he had to flee because, see, King David, he, he, he grieved for his son Amnon, but he couldn't have, he didn't do justice when that, when, the, when the rape happened. And he didn't do justice when Absalom killed his half-brother. And so Absalom fled away from the kingdom and it was apart from from his father's family and, and everybody, and he plotted more revenge for four years, and then he finally he came back, but for, for for four four years he wasn't allowed to be in the king's presence, but then he he started a a, a, re- a revolt and rebellion, and he convinced a lot of the population uh, of the Israel to follow him in this re- revolt. Now there's an old movie called. Um, King David starring Richard Richard Gere. You ever seen that one? It's in the 80s when Richard Gere was handsome <laughs> back then in the day. And there's a great scene. So there's a battle. So David has to actually flee for his life because Absalom's kind of winning this this battle. His, his own son, his, his favorite son, one of his favorite sons is taking over the kingdom. And so David has to flee Jerusalem. He's on the run. And that's when he writes Psalm 23. And, and so eventually, David gets the upper hand in the battle, and and Absalom's beginning to lose. Now, it's a great scene in this movie. See, Absalom had this incredible head of hair. I'm totally jealous, but he's known for his hair, and so he's riding along. I think he's on a donkey, as, as, the, as the word says, and, and and the scene, the movie depicts it so good because his hair gets caught in an oak tree, and, and he's being chased by David's general with three spears, and so here in the you can just see Absalom swinging in this tree because he gets caught, the donkey keeps going, and he's hanging by his hair in the tree. And, and the general comes up, three spears, bam, 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 right through his torso, and he's dead. So the rebellion is done. And so David can move back into Jerusalem, the kingdom is restored, but he's greeting his son. And initially, they said, good news, you know, the rebellion's done, Absalom's dead. And Dave's like, just really sad um, because he lost his, his son. But all of these things going on in Dave's life don't sound like goodness and loving kindness, do they? But that's what he said. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me. In the midst of all of that that I just described, that's when he wrote those things. So, Tob and Chesed. Love also means that God provides and protects. You know, some of the things we've looked at as we've gone through um, the 23rd Psalm was was how God provides and how he protects against our enemies and things like that. I just shared that we had been out in the Okanagan and uh, one of the things I love to do is ride my bike. A year ago, I was training for Ironman Canada, Penticton, and, and we did the bike course. And I, the bike course has got two mountain passes, one of Richter. It's 14 kilometers long. It's about 35 minutes for me. And you often get a tailwind, which helps you get up the mountain, but it makes you really hot. And the second um, mountain pass is Yellow Lake. There's, I've done it so many times. There's there's three pitches. I've got them all memorized. Okay, one pitch is done. Second pitch is done. And you're the corner, and you can see the end. And it's like, okay, I can get through the third pitch. But by then, you're really hot. And you're, and you're just sweating like crazy. And then you come to Yellow Lake. And then you come to this little town called Twin Lakes. And then you take a right-hand turn. And right there is one of the two golf courses on this bike course. Now, if you're out in the Okanagan, it's burning up because it's a desert. And it's all sagebrush. But you get to these golf courses, and it's like... like for a sheep, it would be absolute paradise because the grass is just totally lush green. There's water hazards, so there's ponds and fountains and these ponds going up there. I can just imagine if you're a sheep in this dry, parched land, you come across a, a, a golf course like, Whoa, here it is, heaven heaven on earth. But um, that's what our, our Savior leads us to, and that's what our good shepherd, as we've seen. But the other thing is he protects us. You know, Jesus... Um, referred to us as his flock and he protects his flock and that's what he does for us Um, later in Acts the Apostle Paul calls us his flock too and he cautions us that there's a lot of wolves out there in Acts 20 29 says know that after I leave savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock so so think about this you know as, as Christians Paul's talking about a spiritual sense there are, there are wolves that want to destroy us. This has been going on since the beginning of Christendom. And I had a, a really uh, graphic illustration of this because back to my friend Steve and his, his sheep flock, uh, once I was talking to him on the phone and, and asked him how it was going. He said, well, I got some bad news. Um, I put the sheep. He put the sheep in the barn at night and somehow two dogs got in there. And he didn't hear it at night, but these dogs, he, he opened up the door the next morning and every last one of his flock had been mauled to death by these two dogs. And I asked him well, why? Did did they eat him? And, and he said, No, it's just it's just their instinct. They he didn't they didn't eat the sheep. He opened the doors and there's blood everywhere, sheep parts. It was an incredible mess. And and I just I was just like, yeah, I was like it's so shocking to hear the story. But he said, that's their instinct. The dogs just kill the sheep. And Paul tells us there are savage wolves out to get us, and we have to be not only on the guard, but um, in this day and age, I, th- I think not only have there been the savage wolves that have always been there to s- submerge and sink our faith, but things are weird right now. And I'm not going to go into the crazy political stuff that's going on and conspiracies and whatnot, but but I, there are savage wolves at the door, at the gate, and and. And our promise in Psalm 23 is that we have a protector. Because that's what um, Tob and Chesed mean. They mean that he provides, but he also protects. And in, in these days, we can get a little anxious, nervous about what's going on. You know, We can be anxious about will well, I be able to afford to eat? Will well, I be able to, to, to fend off the wolves that are at the door, at the gate, for whatever purpose, whatever reason? But Tob and Chesed tell us that, yeah our Savior, our Shepherd, will provide for us and will protect us. Well, lastly, this is what I want us to do. Cultivate, enjoy, and cherish our love relationship with God. You know what? We get to prepare to do this for all eternity. Because it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, the Good Shepherd guards and protects us, but He does that to our salvation too. He guards and protects our salvation to bring us home so we can be with him forever. We know that we ebb and flow in our love and our our fervor and obedience for Christ, but the New Testament, John 10, says he protects us. He protects our salvation, and that's what he does for us to make sure that we get to come into heaven and be with him forever. We can have the same confidence that David had in, 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 in that time. So what I've shared at times during worship um, we've been given small glimpses of heaven, what it will be like. And we're kind of on a need-to-know basis when it comes to heaven. We don't know a lot about heaven, do we? No, uh, there's, there's so much that we, we don't know, we kind of want to know. God, like I said, has put us on a need-to-know basis. But some, I think part of it's because we can't even comprehend it. Our world now is so different than what the next world's going to be, even if he described it in even more detail than we have, it still wouldn't really compute because be, I think it's going to be so amazing we can't really understand it, but it is going to be amazing. We got a little bit of a glimpse. I've shared some of these verses from Revelation before, but let's look at them again. Revelation chapter, chapter 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches are in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worship God saying amen blessing glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever it's going to be so awesome. I mean, even if you're not a good singer now, or even if you kind of sometimes, sometimes we get a little, our, our, our minds stray when we worship, when we're in our church. I know we do, because I do it. But you know what? At, in this description, what it's going to be like? We're going to be so engaged. We're going to be like, wow. It's going to be loud. The music's going to be awesome. We're going to be part of it. It's going to be one of the most exciting spectacles you could ever even ever imagine. And we get to be right there. Who are we worshiping? A lamb. He's the center of attention. And, And he's the lamb that was slain. But interestingly enough, the lamb becomes the shepherd, the good shepherd, the best shepherd. Later in the same chapter, it says, for this reason, they are before the throne of God And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. And nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. We've shed some tears in our lives, but there will be no tears. Probably no sadness to have tears. He will take care of it for us. You know, in, in this life, sometimes it's hard, and it's hard to see the goodness and the loving kindness. But in this time, there'll be no problem with that because He'll take it all away. This is our future. It looks astonishingly wonderful. And the Lamb is going to bring us the springs of water. You know, even as good as that water was in the Okanagan, there were signs up that said, boil water advisory. <laughs> in heaven, there'll be no boil water advisory. It'll be really good tasting water. But I just want to say, we need to just enjoy this now as much as we can. There are, there are two wells we can drink from. Um, in Camor, there's a lot of good things to drink from here, but they can, get, they can distract us. I love the mountain biking, the the hiking, the skiing. I love that stuff. I drink from that well often. But that well doesn't fully satisfy. In fact, it only partially satisfies. As good as it is, it only partially satisfies. But the well of Jesus, when we spend time with him, reading his word, praying, talking to him, just enjoying who he is, maybe doing some worship, that well does satisfy. But we don't always believe it. I don't. I know I, because I go to this well so often, and yet it, it leaves me a little, well, the body breaks down, can't as enjoy as much as you'd like, or, and, and whatever, but this well always satisfies, and I just want to encourage my brothers and sisters to go to this well, because it will totally, fully satisfy. So the future that's coming gives us hope to get through this world, I wanna share an example that I haven't shared in many, many years, because I stopped using it because it was used so much, but I need to hear it myself. So would you bear with me a little bit on this one? Um, Okay, so imagine a line, a line that starts in Canmore. No, we better start this in Toronto. Toronto's the center of the universe. So we'll start in Toronto, it goes out the Rocky Mountains, out to the Coast Mountains, Pacific Ocean, keeps going, all the way to the sun and beyond to the next galaxy and the next galaxy and keeps going, keeps going. The line goes the other way to the Atlantic provinces, Atlantic Ocean, Europe, to the moon <laughs> and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and that line is eternity. In our lifestyle span of 70, 80, not where is a blip on this line. It's just a blip. So my question for myself, am I living for the blip or am I living for the line? We need to have that in mind because it's a long, long line and we'll be with our Savior the whole time and not to get so caught up in the blip that we forget about the line. I want to tell, end with, with a story and I used to tell this one, I haven't told it in a long, long time either, about my friend Doug. My friend Doug got brain cancer at age 18. And uh, he fought it with the chemo and everything, and he beat it. But all his hair fell out. When you're 18, that's a big deal. When you're 60 like me, it's part of life. But uh, he lost all his hair. But it came back. It came back very blonde, very curly, and very full. Doug was a very athletic guy. He was, a, he was a pro tennis instructor, pro golf instructor, ski instructor, and, and he, he just loved to teach, teach sports. So he beaten the cancer, he was a strapping athletic guy, and I got to disciple him, mentor him in his first steps as a new Christian guy. He became a Christian through, through everything, and, and then I, I, I just, he, he helped me with my golf game, my tennis game, and my skiing game. But I helped him with this thing. And then when he was 30, the cancer came back. So all the beautiful, bushy blonde hair fell out again. And he, his body, this athletic trim body, just ballooned up because he's taking a lot of steroids and, and chemo and things like that. And he looked over, well over twice as, twice he looked a lot older than me at this point in my life. He's only 30 years old. And so he's doing the cancer battle, but he's fighting it valiantly with great faith. I was so proud of him because he's a young Christian, a, a newer Christian. So one day I was in his house, and I was using the washroom, and he had a three-by-five card on his mirror. And, and this, this verse he had on his, his mirror, he said, Therefore do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed. Day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. When we look while we look at not the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So this is the verse that he saw every morning and throughout the day. It was a reminder to him about eternal realities. He was definitely living for the line and not for the, the blip. So how about each one of us? You know, this world gives us momentary light affliction, but we've got goodness and love and kindness in the midst of all that. And even that momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that we get to enjoy with our Savior for all eternity. So let me just invite us today to drink from that well, the one that really, really satisfies, to cultivate, enjoy, and cherish your love relationship with God, and prepare to do that for all eternity. Let me just lead us in a prayer, asking God to help us with that. Lord God, thank you so much for the promises of your word and encouragements. And Lord, help us to believe Him, help us to know Him, and most importantly, help us to know You, the Lamb who was slain for us and the ultimate Good Shepherd of our souls. We thank You for our, Your presence in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we could override our tendency to, to sin and to look to other things to satisfy us. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would just steer us in a direction of you that will satisfy us, Lord, to give you the time each day and to think about you and to let our thoughts just go to the goodness of you and our salvation and to think about how wonderful it's going to be to be with you forever for all eternity. Lord, I pray that you just do it for every heart here. And Lord, if there are hearts here that don't know for sure that they're going to be with you, Lord, I pray that they just see that your salvation that you offered for us on the cross is sufficient to forgive our sins and give us the holiness that we need to be with you, to enjoy your holiness, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.